The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the Week 7 College Football Betting Preview. I'm stuck in with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. Have you gotten over the sweat from last night, uh, some Wednesday night college football, which was nice to have, the Coastal Carolina kick to avoid the overtime and to almost inevitably put that game over. A kid from Downingtown, mine, where I, neck of the woods where I grew up, Drilled it. Huge win for Coastal Carolina in that program. The real kick came from me kicking myself because we podcasted on Sunday night and I said I wanted all that I could get of Coastal since I make the game six. And I talked myself out of it and hopped on ULL. Loved the under for a bunch of reasons, but uh, you know I should have stuck with my gut reaction. The fact that I power rated it lower than a touchdown. The Coastal offense is impressive, but we have bigger and better things to get to this weekend. We have some Friday night lights. We have two games on Friday night, which we'll get to. Moneyline underdogs, our favorite overdogs later. We'll go through a bunch of games in rapid fire as well to cover what I think there's 28, 29 games on the board after a number of SEC games got postponed. We had Tulsa, Cincy get postponed. I was looking forward to betting that under between those two defenses and those two offenses and 30 mile an hour wins in your neck of the woods on Saturday. But that got postponed as well and who knows we might have a couple more postponed games college football is getting weird but we soldier on here and we bet what's on the board and we will start with our marquee games of the weekend it's another fabulous weekend of college football let's check out the marquee matchups we'll all end up betting for week seven Let's start with, we'll get to Georgia-Alabama. I know everyone is itching to hear about that fascinating matchup, but let's start in the American Athletic Conference with pretty much an elimination game between two teams that many thought were going to compete for the conference championship between UCF and Memphis. Right now at BetMGM, UCF is a three-point favorite over under 73 and a half. UCF is sitting at two and one on the year. They're coming off of a bye after they blew an 18 point lead against Tulsa two weeks ago and lost 34-26. only like the second time in the last 41 games that UCF didn't get to 30. Um, Memphis, meanwhile, also is coming off of a bye. They are one and one on this season. They opened up the year with a win and non-cover against Arkansas State, and then they lost against SMU. And they, surprisingly, also didn't get to 30 points in that game. When you look at this series, 
UCF has absolutely dominated it. I mean, the splits are shocking. They've won 13 in a row all since 2005. You know, I think the, the only time Memphis has won was when they were Memphis State back in 1990. Uh, so coming into the year, I was very high on UCF. I was shocked that they blew that lead against Tulsa. This was my favorite to win the conference. I loved you know, what they were bringing back on defense. Obviously, their offense led by Dylan Gabriel. They have weapons all over the place. This is a team that was extremely unlucky in their losses last year and really could have went undefeated. They had some opt-outs, which hurt their depth on the offensive and defensive lines. But th- this, to me, is still the most talented team in the conference. What's been killing them is penalties. Just take a look at that Tulsa game. They had three huge turnovers, and they had 18 penalties. 18 for 124 yards. And they, are, they rank 75th out of 76 teams, averaging 105 penalty yards per game. I mean, it's, it's messy. Memphis, on the other hand, a lot of transition and, and turnover on this team. You know, they had, I mean, you just take a look at the offense. You know, Brady White does come back at quarterback, but you had Kane, Kenneth Gainwell, an electric running back. He opted out. You know, they lost Antonio Gibson, who's starring in Washington right now as a running back, but he was great on the outside for Memphis last year. And their tight end, Magnifico. Uh, they have Coxie back and they do have some weapons, but the offense just hasn't looked right. And the other side of the ball, Mike McIntyre takes over as defensive coordinator. So they're going through a scheme change there. But their secondary has really struggled against Arkansas State and SMU, who lost two of their better players during that game and still held on for the win. Yeah, what this comes down to, to me, is which team is going to, which team is going to get right over that buys. Is UCF going to clean up some of the mistakes they've made, which is I think all they really needed to do to win this game. Or is Memphis going to figure some things out on the offensive side of the ball with their timing, which has looked a little off. Brady White hasn't been as accurate as I would have expected. You know, the defense going through a scheme change. So what, how do they benefit from those two weeks before this game? I think UCF is the better team. Uh, I make this closer to five. I think you make this closer to seven. So I see value in UCF here. Um, I, I like them better on both sides of the ball. I think they ultimately win this game in the Liberty Bowl. Or I think we're going to have like 12,000 12, fans or so, which should help Memphis a bit. Um, what do you see here? Yeah, I think that this is one of the more perfect spots to be a live trader. And what I mean by that is, is you're going to be able to get both teams uh, on both sides at plus money. I mean, when you have a total as high as 74 and you have a point spread of three, Uh, I mean, there's really just no value at all in taking either of these teams. I mean, the game may end up being a field goal game. It could go to overtime. We've seen that out of these two teams before. Uh, So I'm not sure what the value is in taking, you know, Central Florida this early or even taking Memphis at plus three unless you just want to get an opening stance on the underdog and, and play it back on UCF if it goes that way. But definitely in for another shootout here. You know, the game is much lower than what my projections are, but there are ways I see for Memphis to get by in this game. Uh, you know, Central Florida, they're going to be able to take advantage of the Memphis pass defense, which is ranks in the mid-60s in, in success rate and explosiveness. So that's a benefit for the Knights. They're going to be able to throw uh, anytime they want against this defense. Don't expect Dylan Gabriel to have any issues. Central Florida has allowed just three sacks. They really haven't had that many hurries. Uh, I know that their sack rate right now is, is listed as number one in the country if you look on Football Outsiders. Um, you know, both teams – they're looking to move pretty fast. I mean, we've talked about Memphis before in recent years that they're not a fast team. They're an explosive team, which makes people think that they're fast. But this year they actually are running 
a pretty high tempo. They're 22nd and seconds per play. Uh, UCF, Josh Heupel, fast as always, third in the nation in seconds per play. So I think we may actually, you know, with the up-tempo, we may actually get more scoring than what we're used to in this series. But, you know, Memphis offense is ninth in passing success rate. Uh, They're just 29th in pass explosiveness. But the thing that really stuck out to me when you put these numbers and you you combine them up against each other is that Central Florida is 71st against – passing EPA, which is expected points, which is, you know, it's basically close to explosiveness. That means Memphis is going to be able to get shots down the field at any time. I mean, UCF is ranking one of the worst. And I'm not fooled by that score in the Georgia Tech game whatsoever. Georgia Tech had two-plus first downs on 50% of their drives. That was extremely sustainable. That is a very high success rate against this UCF defense. And that was just Georgia Tech, who I think we all considered not as good of an offense is what Memphis has. So, you know, the other major advantage in here for Central Florida, they're going to have some problems stopping Memphis from scoring. Memphis is top 25 in finishing drives. They're getting points up on the board past the 40. Central Florida's not defending it very well. They're 60th out of 76 teams that have played. They're allowing uh, somewhere around the high fours of points, you know, per trip past the 40-yard line. So, you know, in a live trading game, I'm going to try to get both sides. We'll see that going on during the day while this game, you know, kicks off. 3.30 Eastern time. Uh, But I think Memphis is the side. And I really want to focus on getting them at a number that I feel comfortable taking into overtime, which could be seven or eight, waiting to shop for a better number. And I'll probably do the same thing on Central Florida, but I actually kind of like Memphis's chances in this one. Well, not surprisingly based on last week. I disagree. I don't know if I'm going to take – I'll take UCF if I get a flat three possibly, but maybe maybe not. You do make a great point with this being a good live trading game. And look – Memphis has come out slow the past two weeks, but I, I, I really think does Memphis solve some things on the defensive and offensive side on this bye, or does UCF clean up some of the penalties and sloppiness that have, that cost them against Tulsa? Whichever team I think does either one of those things better ultimately wins this game. But uh, I think that's going to be UCF. So I'll, I would love to get them live as a dog if Memphis comes out and scores first. All right, let's move on to our second marquee game of the day. Uh, Let's talk a little leech. You know, I hope there's Bigfoot. I don't think there is. The reason I don't think there is, because we found bones of dinosaurs and everything else, but we haven't found bones that I've heard of, of Bigfoot. We have Leach, the declared national champion, after a week one upset of LSU when they set all kinds of SEC records, SEC passing records. And since, it has been a complete and utter horror show. This week, you know, the last two weeks, they scored two points and 14 points total with, I think, nine interceptions. I think they have 11 interceptions total. I think KJ Costello is nine of the 20 SEC interceptions this year. I don't know. That's a great point. We were like one of the most constipated offenses on earth. And, you know, we uh... – They'll be playing in Starkville. Mississippi State right now at BetMGM is a five-and-a-half-point underdog over under 54-and-a-half. Uh, when I look at this game, I think – look, I was on Mississippi State week one. I faded Mississippi State week two. I faded Mississippi State week three. And now I'm going back to Mississippi State. Um, so this is a team that's true to me well. And this is a spot – look, Leach is like when you expect him to win, 
he should fade him when he's an underdog and people start writing him off. You should play him. Uh, he is 30, 30 and 19 against the spread. It is career as a head coach as an underdog of four and a half points or more. So pretty good clip there. When, when I look at this game, look, Texas A&M, their defense has been absolutely atrocious. They're 74th in pass efficiency defense out of 76 teams. Their linebackers are slow. They're, you know, they're struggling on cross, crossing routes and angles and, and tackling. Just across the board, this pass defense has just not played great. When you look at the matchup against Mississippi State, everyone knows what to do. You have to play zone, right? That's what Arkansas and Kentucky did. They rushed three, and they dropped eight back. That is the way to play the air raid. This is how Washington had so much success against Washington State. This is what they always did. I'm not sure Texas A&M does that. Maybe they do it a lot, but this Mike Elko runs a 4-2-5. He likes the blitz. He... This is a four-man front defense, and even if they try to do it, these are really, really slow linebackers, bigger, slower linebackers that I think are going to struggle on the crossing routes and the short passes, and then, you know, after the catch, Texas A&M has been miserable. So I think it's a really good matchup for the area defense. It'll be interesting to see exactly what Elko and Fisher do on defense, but I don't think they're just going to rush three and drop eight back. Could be completely wrong, but that's just my thoughts on this. On the other side of the ball, and, and look, KJ Casal has been awful against that you know three-man front and dropping eight. Leach still hasn't named a starting quarterback for this game. He said there's going to be a competition this week between Costello and freshman Will Rogers. Will Rogers came in the game last week as a freshman, and he actually had some rhythm and timing in this offense. He did throw two picks, one at the very end of the game, one that was wrestled away from a receiver at the goal line. But the offense had a lot more rhythm. He played in this air raid offense in high school. It's why Leach personally recruited him. So, and look, it was, he was in a tough spot. He came in as a freshman. He missed the last two games with an illness. I think he only came back like a day or two before that game. So just no practicing, completely out of rhythm, got thrown in to the mix. So this week, if he starts or if Costello struggles and they put him in, I'm sure Costello will have a short leash. I think riders will be much more effective here against this Texas A&M defense, which you could just pick apart and finish drives on. Hey, don't just be support. Just keep fighting with us. We ain't quitting on you. Please don't quit on us. You know what I'm saying? There's no reason to be nasty. The other side of the ball, Texas A&M, offense has played well, but, I mean, they lost another receiver. Caleb Chapman is now out for the year. He had 151 yards and two touchdowns against Florida. So, I mean, this is a, a team that has lost – Davis and Rodgers on the outside at receiver who, who declared for the NFL draft. Their leading receiver, Jamon Osmond, opted out. They have, so basically they've lost three starting receivers from last season and three more potential starters and tight end Baylor Cup to injuries this year. I mean, it's crazy. And the one very bright spot over the past three weeks has been the Mississippi State defense playing extremely well. Held Kentucky to 150 total yards. Last week, the, the, that defensive front is playing well, and that's been the surprise of Mississippi State. So I think they can keep this Texas A&M offense in check. And Mond has just never played that well away from Kyle Field. His road splits are, compared to his home splits are really bad. So I think the air, this air raid, whether it's Costello or now Rodgers, with more time to prepare, they're, they can have some success against this Texas A&M defense. Whether they drop eight or not, I don't think they're going to just do that 
all throughout the game, which benefits Mississippi State. So I think this is a good spot to buy Mississippi State low, sell this Texas A&M team on the road after a big win over Florida. Uh, what do you think here? I don't think there's anything much more for me to add. I have a write-up coming out on Friday uh, on Action Network, uh, and I have Texas A&M, Mississippi State, and I took Mississippi State for – all the reasons Stuggy just said for the four two five that Elko runs for linebackers that weigh over two hundred and forty pounds that can't seem to uh, defend anything in pass coverage. Keja Costello or whoever the quarterback is going to be is going to be able to get everything short, and then eventually they'll be able to get something long. There is, I will say this to tease my article a little bit more. There is a passing map in there about who where teams are having the most success throwing against the Texas A and M defense. It's in between the hashes from zero to ten from zero to ten yards. So exactly everything Texas A&M does on defense, Mississippi State is built to attack that. And I don't see Elko going and changing up and switching personnel out just for this game. Uh, I think we should keep an eye on the crowd. I mean, Dan Mullen made a big deal about how many people were actually in the stadium to watch Texas A&M home game. We'll see how Stark Vegas is doing. How many people are going to be allowed in there? Uh, home field advantage actually could become a thing. We might have to actually add a point to some of these home teams. I'm going to throw a little bit of a shout into the under here. I actually do kind of like the under. These two teams are atrocious in finishing drives. Uh, Mississippi State, 73rd. That was evident last week when KJ Costello would get into the red zone and throw interceptions or do whatever he could to not score any points. Five trips past 40 last week, no points. You know, I mean, that's what we are, J.C. softball team. It's not whether you win or lose. It's like the team that wins is the one that has the most fun. You know, that crap like that. You know, all this stuff that's contaminated America where they give every kid a trophy and they don't keep scoring Little League anymore. Uh, Texas A&M, they're not much better. 63rd in offensive finishing drives, and both these defenses rank better than that. Uh, Texas A&M is slow, 67th uh, in seconds per play. So I agree with everything Stucky says, um, and uh, that's the reason why I'm going to be on the Mississippi State side, uh, and I'm going to throw a shout into the under. Although I do project it a little bit higher than what's on the market, probably won't be like a high-dollar play for me, but I do think that there's going to be a struggle to get points up on the board because uh, that's what these two teams have done once they've crossed the 40-yard line. Well, it's good to hear that you agree. Uh, I think this game is going to go right down to the wire. And Colin and I – I just see what he puts in on the app. We don't really share thoughts or, or talk before the podcast. I think that's what makes it so enjoyable, at least from my perspective. I am biased, but we just come in here with our thoughts. Sometimes we agree, sometimes we disagree, but there's no group think or anything like that. So it's, it's nice to hear that you had the, the same exact take. I actually was going to write this game up, but Colin already wrote it up. So <laughs> we, it sounds like the write-up would have been exactly the same. So you also mentioned the, the total with the under. I was conflicted there. I actually leaned over a little bit because I think that Mississippi State's going to have success moving the ball. Look, Mond on the road, and now he loses another weapon. And Texas A&M is a snail, right? They're one of the slowest teams in the country. Um, So I think the total is a pass for me. All right, let's move on to our third marquee game of the day. Let's talk a little Louisville-Notre Dame. All right, at BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast, Notre Dame is a 17-point favorite over under 61.5. The total in this game has come down a bit. There is projected, what, 20-plus mile-an-hour winds, as you sometimes see in South Bend. Uh, so we'll see if that forecast holds, but that could become an angle. Really fascinating game for me 
because I want to find out more about Notre Dame, but I don't know if we will against Louisville, right? I mean, Notre Dame has played nobody. They beat Florida State and didn't cover. We know how bad Florida State's been this year. They blew out South Florida, and then they beat Duke after a slow start by two touchdowns, the one-win Duke team. So we haven't really seen Notre Dame against any real competition so far. Louisville, on the other hand, has just been absolutely dreadful. I mean, their special teams in particular. I know that they, they lost like their star punter and star kicker, but just the, the mistakes that they've made have been bad. And the mistakes across the board, the turnovers, are minus eight in turnover margin. Uh, you know, Cunningham, this is supposed to be an electric offense. And, you know, you have a three-headed monster with Cunningham returning a quarterback. You have great returning running back and wide receiver. It just hasn't been there, and the mistakes have killed him. Cunningham has five interceptions this year on 124 attempts. The past two years, he had six over 246 attempts, so almost exactly double, four, four to 5% interception rate this year. So the mistakes have been killing them. It's been sloppy, and the defense has just been non-existent. So, you know, I look at this game coming into the year, I would have loved to have Louisville catching 17. Um, I don't know how great Notre Dame is, but I know that Louisville's been bad. Is there going to be some positive regression here? I, I don't know. Uh, tough game for me to cap. What do you see here? Yeah, I took this game at minus 15 on the open, uh, sitting at minus 17 at Bet MGM. Uh, I actually kind of expect it to go a little bit higher. There isn't a bigger discrepancy on the board this entire week seven when it comes to havoc and finishing drives than this game. Notre Dame's defense is fifth in havoc. Louisville's offense is 75th in havoc allowed. That offensive line is going to get massacred. Uh, Notre Dame should be in the backfield all day. Run disruption rates for Louisville should be at an all-time high. Other side of the ball, Notre Dame is protecting Ian Book. They're not fumbling. They're not making mistakes. They're seventh in havoc allowed. UL defense decent. They're 29th in havoc. Nothing great. But finishing drives is the same thing. Notre Dame's defense, third in the nation, allowing points past the 40-yard line when an opponent gets past. I mean, it's, I don't know, less than two points every time they make a trip past the 40. Louisville's offense is ranked 33rd. Notre Dame on offense, on the other hand, when Ian Book gets that offense down past the 40, they're eighth in the country, ranked in finishing drives. Louisville can't get out of their own way on defense. Uh, they just kind of Olay the offense in, they're ranked 63rd in defensive finishing drives. Those are two stats that I rely on, uh, you know, when I'm making a pick in a game, and they completely jumped off the page on Sunday night after all the advanced stats were compiled together. And I'm not the kind of person that likes to, you know, be hitting on a team minus 15 on a Sunday night when I make the game 17. But when you look at some of these, you know, numbers up against each other, it just doesn't end there. I mean – Notre Dame on defense, they're top five in power success rate, stuff rate, you know, 11th in line yards. These are things that Louisville's had problems with because their run disruption rate, and what that means is, is offensive linemen can't stick their blocks. Runs are being interrupted all the time. Uh, there is a trench problem with the Cardinals. So, you know, when those numbers like that pop off the page, it's, you know, betting minus 15, it's just something you got to do, um, especially early in the week. Am I going to come back on this? Probably not. Probably not. I think, you know, Notre Dame doesn't really have any kind of overlook. The Clemson game's still a couple of weeks away. 
there's some disrespect going on in the market. I mean, North Carolina is allowing Virginia Tech to score 50 points, and a lot of people are making them the number four team in the country. Don't think that Brian Kelly isn't paying attention to that. Don't think that Brian Kelly doesn't know that he feels like he's always in a disadvantage to get into the college football playoff. So I very much favor Notre Dame in this game. I think the defense is just going to reign supreme over that offensive line. The total is, you know, about where it should be. This is really a question of when does Notre Dame want to stop scoring? Uh, But yeah, Notre Dame, the Irish for me. The only thing that gives me pause about what you said is, I mean, Notre Dame, like I said before, Notre Dame has played Duke, South Florida, and Florida State. Three teams that don't have great offensive lines, don't have great quarterback play, kind of dreadful teams in general. So are their defensive numbers inflated? Meanwhile, Louisville, I mean, the Georgia Tech game, they just had a million fumbles. But they also played, you know, Western Kentucky, they had a million fumbles on special teams, a million mistakes on special teams. Western Kentucky is supposed to have a really good defense, top 20 defense last year. Then they played Miami, who has a good habit-creating defense. And then they played Pitt, who has maybe the, a top three or four habit-creating defense. So Louisville's played like these defenses that can create havoc. Some of it's been self-inflicted wounds and sloppiness, while Notre Dame has had a really easy schedule. So it's hard for me to distill how much of those numbers are real so far. But your point is well taken. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. All right, let's move on to our fourth marquee game of the weekend. And we're going to go back to the SEC. There's really no Big 12 this week. It was one game, West Virginia, Kansas. Oh, my God. Who cares? We have the Big 10 and some other conferences coming back soon. So we're going to give extra attention to those conferences when they do. But not a ton of marquee games this weekend. So I figured we'd go down to Knoxville for Kentucky at Tennessee. At BetMGM right now, Tennessee is a six-point favorite over under 46. Kentucky hasn't won in Knoxville since 1984. They've lost 17 straight. <laughs> oh, wow. You've got to be shitting me. <laughs> Just a, a couple hours down the road down there in Knoxville. Look, Kentucky has been – we know how kind of fortunate they got against Mississippi State. But they were pretty unlucky against Ole Miss. They missed the extra point. They led by 14 in that game. They could have won that game. They were really unlucky against Auburn. So they played well in some aspects. But this team can't throw the ball. I mean, let's just let's just face it. They can't. Um, their passing offense is absolutely dreadful. Uh, they're 65th out of 76 teams in yards per pass. And they faced Auburn, whose secondary has been torched across the board in other games. Mississippi State, eh, defense did okay. But this isn't an elite secondary and Ole Miss who everyone throws for a million yards against and they're still 65th out of 76 teams the one bright spot we didn't know much about the Kentucky's receivers one bright spot has been uh Joshua Lee on the outside and uh but I think Bryce Thompson Tennessee's corner can kind of take him out of the mix Kentucky their offensive line is the star of the show but it, it hasn't been in that elite so far it's been good but not great 
And Tennessee's defensive front, top 10 in opportunity rate and stuff rate. So I think that they can, you know, really contain this Kentucky rushing attack. And I don't trust Kentucky to do much in the air. On the other side of the ball, I think Kentucky's defense can also contain Tennessee here. Look, I love the Tennessee offensive line, but I was hyping them up as the best in the nation from all five stars across the board. But apparently after last week, they need some time to gel and it's going to maybe take some time to mesh. The strength of that Kentucky defense is up front. And I think Tennessee's going to go with a rush-heavy attack. It's what they generally want to focus on. I think you like the dog here, which is where I would lean. I think this is a really low-scoring game. Uh, I bet the under here. Last two years, they've combined for 30 and 31 points. And if you throw out the Georgia game, look, I thought Tennessee was maybe ready to step up in class in the SEC. They're not. And I didn't think they could win that game, but I thought they could at least compete dead wrong there. Their offense did nothing, absolutely nothing in the second half. But, the you know, Kentucky's not obviously at Georgia's level. Kentucky's more on Tennessee's level. And if you look back at the last eight games for Tennessee, excluding that Georgia game, they've held opponents to under 17 points per game on average. Most of those games uh, are against SEC opponents. And I think UAB and Indiana in the bowl game are in there. Uh, so it's – I, it's difficult for me to see either team without some mistakes getting to 24 plus. So I think this game is maybe like a 20, 21, 17 ish final. And uh, yeah, I think the clock's going to be running. You're going to see two rush heavy attacks. I think both defenses can match up in that regard. Kentucky's going to struggle through the air and uh, the Tennessee passing attack just doesn't really scare me. They did a lot of damage against South Carolina when South Carolina's star corner went out. They picked on a freshman. So Kentucky really just has to worry about Palmer, and that's it. So I like the under here. You are siding with the Cats? Yeah, I think the number is overinflated. I mean, I I make it minus one and a half for Tennessee, so that gives some value to the six that's out there in the market. I do think this is going to drop before we get to kickoff. You know, I would like to call for the outright upset, but Kentucky's got to figure out what they're doing with Terry Wilson. I mean, they've got to learn the forward pass here – you're 71st in offensive passing success rate. That's just not going to get it done. You know, the rest of the numbers, they're not bad. I mean, they're, they're top 20 in line yards. They're 13th in power success rate. They can run the ball. They're 13th in rushing success rate, but they have got to have a complimentary throwing game for them to win anything. They're really slow in seconds per play, which kind of shocked me coming into the season that they're 63rd, which is almost bottom 10 as far as pace is concerned. And Tennessee's actually run a little bit faster than usual, being top 20 in seconds per play. I project this game at 47, you know, so I think 45 is pretty spot on. I think if I had to take a, something on the total, I would probably take the over. But I think a lot of people have the same opinion as you, and that would still continue to go down. So this may be a Saturday morning play for me, although I did play Kentucky here before the pod getting the six. But I think if the total drops anymore, I may actually take an over. I mean, at some point, Kentucky's – Stoops has made midseason changes before and had it work wonderfully so uh i wouldn't be surprised if if you know if we're going to get some other quarterback play and that may result in uh something new some some points here but uh we'll see where the line goes if it drops any further on the total i might take it over fair enough all right well as excited as i am to talk a little umass utsa utep what's up minor nation which we will get to we still do have one other marquee game of the weekend and it's the game of the year potentially uh, and we're talking Georgia at Alabama at BetMGM right now. Uh, Alabama is a four-point favorite over under 
56. This game is awesome, and there's no shortage of storylines around it. It's going to have potentially national title implications, college football playoff implications, et cetera, et cetera. Alabama's won five straight in the series. Last time they played came back in 2018 when Alabama won the national championship and SEC championship by a combined 10 points, both in comeback fashion. Uh, one of the stats you'll hear maybe a million times is Nick Saban is 21-0 and head-to-head against his former assistants. But, I mean, it, I hate that stat in many ways because most of the time Alabama is supremely more talented than the team that they're facing where – Saban's assistants have gone to coach. And he said as much this week. He said, yeah, well, a lot of times my assistants leave and they go to programs that don't get, I don't have as much talent as Alabama. This is the first time, if you look at 247 Sports Talent Composite, which looks at the composite rankings of all of the recruits on the teams, this is the first time Saban has ever faced maybe any opponent, but uh, one of his assistants where the other team is more talented on paper across the board. It's one versus two, by the way. Georgia's one, Alabama's two. And it's fractions, that, and it's including you know, non-starters and all the recruiting classes that are coming in. The point is, is that it's a fair fight now, just like it was in 2018 when Georgia could have won either of those games, and they can win this game. Looks like Stetson Bennett is going to be the quarterback uh, once again under center. He's done his job so far this year. Uh, I'm still not sold on him being a national title quarterback, but maybe I'm wrong. Georgia defense, probably the best defense in the nation. Alabama offense, arguably the best offense in the nation. You look at most stats, it's going to be Alabama's number one in, in college football on offense and Georgia's number one on defense. Strength on strength on that side of the ball. The other side of the ball, Georgia's offense, it's doing okay. Um, it's not one of the best offenses in the country. It's good offensive line. They have some weapons on the outside. You have Bennett who's, you know, not making mistakes and making the plays that he needs to. And then the Alabama defense, this is the big question. Uh, Look, I know Ole Miss is going to put it on a lot of teams this year, but I went back and watched that game. I wasn't able to watch most of it. And there were some troubling signs for Alabama. The just guys out of position, just the coverage was off. Uh, They were kind of getting pushed around a little bit up front. So I don't know. Maybe this Alabama defense isn't what I thought it was going to be this year. Maybe they'll get there. Uh, But I think that there's some holes on this Alabama defense. I think Georgia will be able to move the ball. And as great as I think this Georgia defense is, the Alabama offense, I, I just don't know how you stop it. And Mac Jones is playing at such a high level. They have NFL receivers, NFL running backs, NFL offensive line. So I, you know, I, and Georgia's not a habit-creating machine, so I think Mac Jones is going to have time to throw, and you can't cover those receivers. So initially I was thinking, looking at this game, and I was leaning towards the under just on how I thought it would play out. Now I'm thinking over. I don't think that Georgia is going to have trouble moving the ball, and I don't think anyone can really stop this Alabama offense. So I'm starting to look at these over 56, which is intriguing to me. And then the the biggest one of the biggest wild cards here is Nick Saban. He has COVID. Soon as it was announced, the line dropped from six and a half down to four, four and a half. So I'll start there with you. And we don't know if there's going to be more Alabama COVID cases that come out um, or not. We shall see. Uh, so I'll start there with you. What do you what do you think the Saban news <clears throat> means to the game and to the spread? And then what are your thoughts on the matchup? 
Well, I was, uh, I mean, I'm not surprised by the line move whatsoever because you and I were podcasting back when Urban Meyer was uh, suspended for three games and it took, you know, a two-point move on the week one game and then all of his uh, futures on the board, the the game of the years, all took a two-point dive. So I'm not surprised. Which is what we it said. It's worth about, he's worth about, was worth about two points of the spread. But, you know, I'm going to take a different angle at this. And, and if you want to read more into it and you want to look at some advanced stats and some graphics, I encourage you to look at the write-up that I'll have on Action Network tomorrow. But let's talk about Saban's real value to game day, right? Because what you're going to hear on competitor podcasts is, oh, this team's pretty good with the offense and this team's pretty good on the defense. I just don't know what's going to happen. Like, I mean, it's just nobody's really diving into the real issue with Alabama. So let's break it down. For the first time in years, they have stability at the coordinators, right? Steve Sarkeesian's been there. He was there in 2016 as an analyst for a little bit, came back as the offensive coordinator last year. Pete Golding is the defensive coordinator. He was a huge rising star at UTSA. UTSA was known for their havoc uh, while he was there. Uh, Saban went and scooped him up. He was an assistant. After the whole Tosh Lapoy years where Saban essentially had to take over play calling and take over the defense once again, Pete Golding was promoted up to defensive coordinator. So you have to ask yourself, like, which side of the ball is going to suffer from Nick Saban not being there unless they hang him over Brian Denny like Chris Jericho in a WWE wrestling match where they, like, put him in a cage, you know? Anyways, that's just me and my wrestling uh, (laughs) phantom. But, no, I mean, who does it affect the most? I don't think it affects Steve Sarkeesian whatsoever. Look at this Bama offense over the years. It doesn't matter if it's been Lane. It doesn't matter if it's been Sark. We've gone from Jalen Hurts to Tua Tagovailoa to Mac Jones. And there's been zero drop-off in this offense. Mac Jones is running this offense perfectly. I heard somebody, I saw somebody state out, well, Bama only has seven passes over 20 yards. Are you kidding me? Those seven passes that have gone for over 20 yards have totaled 366 yards. Mac Jones is running this offense as well as the household names that you know. I don't think Saban not being there affects this offense whatsoever. I think there's zero drop-off. The point spread should not, you know, be moving because of that. Now, flip side, Pete Golding, yeah, that's a problem. Pete Golding came under fire last year, uh, you know, because their rushing success rate for the Crimson Tide completely, you know, fell down like outside the top 20. Uh, They were allowing explosive runs. We blamed it all on injury. We blamed it all on Dylan Moses not being there. Dylan Moses, captain of the defense, calls the plays. Lines up at linebacker, gets everybody into position. So the big criticism of Alabama last year in the defense was that players were not lined up correctly. We have too many injuries. And then we had a couple players go into the NFL draft and made comment about Pete Goulding back in April or May and said that the communication was poor. From the press box to Pete Goulding to the field, we couldn't get plays in. They were confusing. Didn't make any sense. That's why players in the secondary were lined up incorrectly. Linebackers were lined up incorrectly. Blitzes weren't interpreted great. And so we blamed it all on Dylan Moses being hurt last year. The fact that we didn't have our captain on the field to call that. Well, it turns out here we are again. Alabama defensively, they're 62nd in passing success rate on defense. They're 48th in defending the explosive pass in, in passing EPA. 37th in defensive rushing success rate. 
Things have not improved. Listen, I know Ole Miss is on the schedule, but these were there when they played Missouri in week one. These were a problem. So I think Pete Golding is the one that really is going to struggle here. And without Saban there to help him tweak the defense and give him an assist and tell him where to line up certain players and the biggest thing, make halftime adjustments, make quarterly adjustments, drive to drive, play to play. That's why Saban came in and took Tosh LePoy's duties completely away. No more defensive play calling for you. You're done. It's mine. Now, Saban has wanted Pete Golding to succeed. He loves Pete Golding. But it's just not happening. Uh, You know, there was a rant uh, from Paul Feinbaum about getting him fired earlier this summer. Uh, The numbers speak for themselves. In 236 defensive plays, let's think about this stat. In 236 defensive plays, Alabama has nine passes defensed. Nine. That's it. They're not knocking down anything. So if we're going to talk about the point spread and the movement, how does Saban not being there affect the coordinators? It affects the offense zero. I think it affects the defense big time. So for those reasons, you know, we can talk about side all you want, Stuck, but I mean, there I'm going to jump to the Georgia side. Do you want to do you want to comment on that before I jump to the Georgia side? I thought the defense coming in to this year, and it was a problem last year. I mean, just look back to that LSU game. But I thought the defense, those problems, look, this Alabama is always reloading. They have coordinator consistency. They were injuries all over. But, you know, so I thought that this year we were going to see a drastic jump in that defense. And, and then, you know, I didn't get to watch much of that Alabama Ole Miss game. So I went back and watched it. And, yes, the Ole Miss offense is electric. But every single third down, Ole Miss would con- third and long every time. Guys wide open, missed assignments over the middle of the field. I mean, linebackers out of place. Dylan Moses not out of place. And we know it's a really young secondary. And the defensive line isn't playing up to snuff. So just from the eye test alone, it's not just, hey, it was one – Ole Miss game and they were electric, blah, blah, blah. And I think that you're right with with Saban not being there to make adjustments on the defensive side of the ball. Because I, I don't I mean, I don't think that anyone can really slow down this Alabama offense. If anyone's gonna do it, it's Georgia. But it's hard for me now after watching that game, it's hard for me to envision both of these teams not getting to twenty eight, which is ultimately why I like over fifty six. So, yeah, I completely agree with you. There's real pro- real fundamental problems on this Alabama defense. Now, their offense, just with a little improvement on the defensive side of the ball, their offense might be able to carry them to a national championship. But on the flip side, this defense might end up costing them a national championship uh, against elite competition. So let me back you up on the over here because I, I did take a first half over. And the reason I – went first half instead of the full game, which I may still come out and hit the full game, is because the second – Wouldn't you like the full game more, though, because you don't have Saban adjusting? Well, Jordan, Battle, Jordan Battle's out for the first half. And he, yeah, he targeting. Was, yeah, he, for targeting uh, in the second half against Ole Miss, he's going to sit out the first half. I don't expect Pete Golding to make any defensive changes in the first half. Uh, and with Jordan Battle out, who's third in the team in tackles, I just think Georgia's going to have their way. Now, there's other things that I'm hearing, like I, I – I, <laughs> Kirby mentioned the word sloppy 20 times in his Monday presser. 
Kirby's being coy about tempo here. He's saying, I'll be honest with you, football gets sloppy when you go fast. It doesn't mean it's not successful, but when you're sloppy, fundamentals go down and stats go up. You know, he's about the whole group text with Lane. He says, you know, being fast is just Lane's style, and the key to beating Bama is sustainable drives, no three and outs. So let's, let's talk about that. Can Georgia have sustainable drives against Alabama's defense? I think the answer is obviously yes. Two-plus first downs against Tennessee, 46% of the drives. Two-plus first downs drives against Auburn, 77%. Arkansas, let's throw the first half out, right? That was Mathis. That was the first game of the season. If you look at the second half when they had the outburst, four of their five drives had two-plus first downs and another drive that ended with a field goal. I think – you know, you need to look at Kirby being coy about going tempo. He says it's sloppy and you lose your fundamentals. He wants he is going to he wants to go tempo so that he can have Alabama on their heels, lined up incorrectly, and making mistakes. I really like Eric Stokes and Richard LeCount on defense for Georgia. I mean, LeCount is to me, he's the key to the game. So as far as passes defense against the Alabama against Alabama skill positions. He's drawing comparisons to Roquan Smith, especially in sniffing out the run. He could close from the safety position to getting a running back on the line of scrimmage and, and quicker than I could see any other defender in the nation. And one other thing for the over, available yards is a stat that calculates the percentage of how many yards you've got on your drive. So if you start your drive at the 20-yard line, there's 80 available yards. This is why I don't think Alabama can be stopped. I think the Georgia defense is great, but this is why I don't think the Alabama defense can be stopped. Teams are generally around 40% of available yards. Bama's gone 60%, 60%, and last week against Ole Miss, they achieved 91% of their available yards, which may be an all-time record. I'm not sure. I think the over in the first half is good. I'm not sure what kind of changes are going to happen before the second half, but I just think it's an over game in general. And if, if Kirby decides that he wants to go tempo, which Stetson Bennett can do, then this game definitely will go over. Do I like Georgia to win the game? I power rate at three and a half. I, I don't have much of an edge here. You know, I, I think the bouncing between the dead numbers and the four and a halfs and the five and a halfs is, is not that big of a difference to me. Am I going to get involved live? I probably would on Georgia if I ever saw that seven. That's really where the Sharps were coming in and starting to hammer the number this week. It never got to a seven, got to six and a half, and it took in plenty of action. If I see a Georgia seven, you can probably expect me to fire. But in an over game where everybody's going tempo – I'm going to take the best offense, and that best offense is Alabama. So I think the target window for live on the side is an Alabama pick to a Georgia plus seven. But count me all in on the over because I don't believe in Pete Golding by himself without Nick Saban unless they're hanging him in a shark tank cage above the the field. They're missing Jordan Battle in the first half. Lots of things here pointing to Alabama having a bad defensive day. Well, there you have it. Make sure you check out the write-up uh, that Colin will have on with we'll a lot of content for Alabama, Georgia on the Action Network app and actionnetwork.com. Uh, and just a reminder on to go to the podcast, our story podcast, leave a review. really helps us out. Appreciate your support. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. And the voicemails during that Georgia-Alabama game. I expect to hear from Minor Nation. I expect to hear from Meet Meet Nation. We never had a UTSA fan call. UMass, we're going to get to some of these games now, but light up the voicemails all weekend long. All right, before we get to the rundown, I did want to remind everyone of the Action Network podcast Tournament of Champions presented by BetMGM. 
It's a free weekly Yahoo DFS tournament specifically for you, our podcast listeners, and you can join just by clicking on the link in the episode description. Top 10 weekly finishers receive over $1,000 worth of Action Network prizes. Top five each week punch their ticket to the Wildcard Weekend Grand Finale, where you'll compete for the grand prize, which is a Las Vegas trip for two, valued at over $5,000, courtesy of BetMGM, the official odds provider of the Action Network podcast. Again, it's a free tournament, no rake. It's just for our podcast listeners. Just click the link in the description. It's for every week of the NFL regular season. You could join one week and not the next, or join every week whenever you remember. Just click on the link in our episode description. All right, let's move on to the best of the rest. Let's start in the ACC with Pitt and Miami at BetMGM. Miami is now a 13.5-point favorite over under 47.5. I took – well, we have – Miami obviously was – came back crashing down to earth, got sunned by Clemson. Sorry, Canes Nation, not a national title contender. Uh, and Pitt is coming off two straight one-point losses, heartbreak losses for Pitt. I took the under here, um, under 48 and a half, it's down to 47 and a half, which I still like. No team has no no team has scored more than 24 points, which you obviously we need to do to get over 48 in this matchup. The past three years, I think the final was like 14-12 or like 14-9 last year. I still believe in the pit defense. All of the advanced mat- metrics tell me to believe in them, especially against the run. You just can't run on this pit team. And the Miami offense just – it's not efficient. I don't trust them to move the ball through the air enough against Pitt. And the other side of the ball, the Miami defense, still a formidable unit. You can maybe throw in them a little bit, but guess who's probably not playing for Pitt? Kenny Pickett. And that's one of the reasons why I think this line has moved from 9.5, 10.5 up to 13.5. Speculation is there will be an announcement tomorrow that he will have surgery on his ankle and you'll get one of two freshmen in there for Pitt. So I think this is a slugfest. You might even see Miami come out a little flat. They were so high going into that Clemson game and then just to get embarrassed like that. So I think this is a slugfest like we've seen the past three years between these teams. Anything in Pitt-Miami? Yeah, no play for me in this, especially with the Kenny Pickett news. But even if he was playing, I wouldn't back Pitt because there's just certain things that I see in the advanced numbers that just would scare me to death. Uh, you know, Miami, number one in the nation in rush explosiveness, and Pitt's defense is 59th. Highly successful defense, but they can give up, uh, you know, plenty of big plays. Uh, there's other things in there, like, you know, the, the havoc on both sides of the ball, like Pitt's number one, Miami's 13th, and their offenses are not very good at protecting the ball. Uh, I think that's really going to wear on a pit, you know, offense more. Uh, so, you know, for me, I, it's 10 and a half, no play for me, uh, especially without Pickett. Uh, so I, I will, I will lay off on this game. It'll come down. It's a really aggressive pressing pit defense that gets after the quarterback. And you, because of that, you can hit some explosive plays on there. I just don't think Miami's going to hit enough to get this game over the total. Uh, all right, let's move on to Auburn at South Carolina at BetMGM right now. Auburn is a three-point favorite juice, three minus 120 over under 51 and a half. I was surprised you had this number at seven. I've downgraded Auburn significantly. Apologies to Bo Nix season guy. Bo Nix season in full effect. But look, I mean, Auburn's what? They're ranked 15th. They got blown out by Georgia dominated they should have lost to arkansas they did lose if you've seen our our memes going back and forth arkansas should be two and one 
they got really lucky against Kentucky with a number of fluke plays. So this Auburn team realistically could be 0-3, right? I mean, and then the whole perception of this team is a lot different. South Carolina, meanwhile, they lost by two touchdowns to Florida. They blew out Vanderbilt, eh, and they lost a, a close game at home to Tennessee. A lot mainly because their star corner is going to play in the NFL. Mugama went out with an injury. So I, I just think this Auburn team is not very good. Their offensive line, which is all brand new, hasn't been impressive to me. Their brand new secondary hasn't been impressive to me. Bo Nix hasn't taken as big of a leap yet as I expected him to do this year. And, and the, I mean, the Auburn defensive numbers are just, they're bad, uh, especially in the secondary. And, and the offensive line numbers are really troublesome. I don't think they're going to get much of a push against South Carolina. And uh, I think South Carolina can make enough plays through the air to get this done. It's, I want a flat three and a half. I know you make this closer to a touchdown, so you haven't completely maybe sold out on Bo Nix season. Any thoughts here? No, really, it's kind of a reflection of Bo Nix's weapons. Uh, Eli Stove didn't play against Arkansas. I think he's questionable for this game. Seth Williams is not 100%. He wasn't during the Arkansas game. He may not play here. Anthony Schwartz is going to get all the attention, which means all the Gamecock secondary just really has to focus on him because without Seth Williams and Eli Stove, especially either of them not being 100%, that's going to limit what Bo Nix can do. Tank Bigsby's been fantastic for Auburn, but at the same time, you know, they have to have an offensive line that can, you know, block for him and, and, and protect for him, and that's just not happening. 46th in line yards, you know, uh, 48th in stuff rate. I can't take South Carolina because it's not a number that I, you know, if I projected much higher at seven and a half, if Bo Nix loses all his weapons, how far does that number supposed to come down? I think three's not a lot of edge with South Carolina at three. Could be wrong, but uh, without Bo Nix's weapons, I'm staying away on this game. South Carolina on against Vanderbilt, they didn't really need anyone to win that game. Their starting defensive tackle, Kier Thomas, didn't play. And Jalen Dickerson, who does come in at safety and play some, he didn't play either. And their uh, and Israel Mukuamu, their star cornerback, who will get drafted, he only played 14 snaps, and he has been do- dealing with a groin injury, and his backup isn't great. That's one. I mean, he went out against Tennessee, and they just picked him apart. I think that it was more precautionary than anything uh, on both sides because they didn't really need them. Muschamp has said he's not giving any injury info the rest of the year, but. He did say in passing when asked, someone still asked the reporter and said, do you think that they'll, those three will be back for this game? And he said, I think so. So I'm assuming that they all three will play. And if you only have one real threat on that Auburn wide receiver core that's fully healthy, Bukiyama could match up. And uh, I think that's a problem. I think South Carolina wins this game. All right, let's move on to the – Next game, by the way, I'm sad we don't have any Brocktober this week. Uh, Colin needs to talk some hogs. Ole Miss at Arkansas, at BetMGM right now. Arkansas is a one-and-a-half-point home dog, over under 75. Look, I don't get too much involved with uh, Arkansas games, so i let you handle those. COVID news with Ole Miss, this game might get postponed. We don't know who's infected, but they apparently are dealing with an outbreak. They're coming off that Bama game. Is there a letdown? Who's going to be out? We know the Ole Miss offense is really good. We know the defense is absolutely atrocious. 
it maybe this will come down to which team can get two stops, maybe. But a lot of uncertainty around this game. What do you say? Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Yeah, I mean, no one can stop the stop Ole Miss from scoring except maybe COVID after not having a positive test for like a month or dealing with a COVID outbreak. So we don't know how many people are available. Uh, if it's not Matt Corral and Elijah Moore, then the offense should be good to go. Their games have averaged 93 points so far. Ole Miss dead last in finishing drives D. So you would expect a ton of points here. Right before we podcast, uh, star running back for Arkansas, Rakeem Boyd, made his announcement that he's returning. Uh, Sam Pittman's comment on that was like, oh, I guess I should get a Twitter account and check Twitter more because I didn't even know that he was back. The Ole Miss offense is top five in seconds per play and, and in passing success rate. So you can expect more of that to come. They have more 40-yard passes. I'm not talking 20. I'm not talking about 30. They have more 40-yard passes than anybody in the country at eight. Uh, The Ole Miss D is dreadful. Everybody should know that. They're 75th and 76th in rushing and pass success rate. That's bottom of the barrel for the Hogs. Here's the thing. I took the over in this game, you know, based upon the fact that I think you should just take overs in Ole Miss games, you know, uh, until we get proven wrong. And, And mostly that has to do with their defense and their offense. But for the Hogs, they may be missing their top two tacklers. They're questionable for this game. Bumper Pool and Grant Morgan, top two tacklers, leaders on the defense. They might not play in this game. And if they don't, uh, that's a huge problem against this Ole Miss offense. Rakeem Boyd, I just said, running back, star running back for the Hogs on offense, just made his announcement he's coming back. That is going to be perfect against an Ole Miss defense that is 74th in line yards. I didn't know you could be that bad as an SEC team. Uh, you know, the one thing I should say, you know, the Hogs D does rank second against pass explosiveness. So that's really going to be put to the test here against, against Lane Kiffin's offense. Uh, and they're 10th in defensive finishing drives. So if we lose the over ticket on here, uh, maybe the Hogs stand up. And if they do, then, you know, they can win this game. I expect to have a bet on the Hogs, which I think I do at three, but I'm going to hit them again. I knew when the COVID news came in, I wanted to get a piece of Arkansas. If they become any bigger of a dog and live in game, uh, this is another number that I'm going to hit. I absolutely think this game could go to overtime. I absolutely think Arkansas can win this game. But the one thing I'm sure of is if Grant Morgan and Bumper Pool are out for Arkansas's defense, this total should fly. Now you have a Colin on his hogs. Woo, pig suey. All right, uh, next game, before we get to minor nation, uh, we'll talk about this game for five seconds. Georgia Southern, 31-point favorite at home against UMass. I don't know what I'm going to do with this game. I might take UMass, but I don't know. It's a triple option team laying 31. We saw Georgia Southern lay a huge number against Bob Monroe, who's maybe the, one of the worst teams in FBS this year, and they barely won the game. Came down to a 10-minute review at the end of the game over a half of a yard. It's, it's very difficult for triple option teams to cover this number. At least UMass saw a triple option team last year. They did lose by about 60, which is a little troubling and one of the worst defenses in the history of college football. And they played Georgia Southern, I think, twice the two years prior to that. It, the thing is, is that, look, we've been, I've been over this before. Teams playing their first game have a significant advantage over teams that have played a couple games. Every year, and especially this year, it's insane. It's like 70%, 80% against the spread. Historically, it's like 57% against the spread because you have film on the other team, and the team doesn't have film on you. UMass playing their first game, what does Georgia Southern expect here? I don't know. And it might be UMass's only game of the fall. They're only, I think it's their only game scheduled right now. So they're going to pull out all the stops, I would imagine. Trick plays, 
who knows? And Georgia Southern now is a big game with Coastal Carolina on deck. That game is now a lot bigger. So maybe there's some look ahead here. Pull your starters a little sooner. And this might be my only chance to get to play UMass all year. Hard to project how poor this UMass team is going to be, but it is their first game and maybe only game. And Georgia Southern is a triple option team. Very difficult to cover 31 with a big game on deck. I might play the Minutemen, man. Any thoughts? <laughs> well, I can't believe this wasn't in our marquee section. But uh, looking at UMass, yeah, you're right. It could be their only game. They opted back into the season on September 21st. Uh, they have plenty of experience coming back in, but Andrew Brito, their junior quarterback, was not listed as a starting quarterback on the depth chart that was just released. And so, you know, they got three of their top four wide receivers that are back. They're running back. Wow, Ali, he's, he's gone. He graduated. And the thing that scares me about UMass and backing them is they surrendered 50 rushing TDs last year. 50 rushing TDs, and Stuck's right. Army beat UMass by 60. That's the last time they saw the triple. Listen, UMass isn't going down to play this game for money. Usually they travel places for money. They were only paid like fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000, which covers like half of their travel expenses. You know, this could be their Super Bowl, but I don't know what that means to a team that gave up 50 rushing TDs last year. I'm not trying to run out and play Georgia Southern. I tell you what I do want to do. I do want to have a bet on this game. Just to say that I had a bet on this game, maybe I can get like an event T-shirt that says I bet UMass in 2020. Uh, I don't know what that bet is going to be, knowing that it's Georgia Southern, knowing that their pace of play is 70, they're 75th in the nation in seconds per play. I find that the larger that the point spread is, the more that, that gives value to UMass, uh, that more that gives value to a total that is in the 60s. But we just don't know what you're going to get from UMass. I, they're going to run trick plays. They're going to look completely different from last year. I think the only play is on UMass, but you got to let that steam come in because nobody really knows what's going on with UMass. So I probably will have something down. Don't be shocked on the app if you guys see something Saturday morning. I think I have to play UMass. And I'll, whatever, I'll, I'll make a donation just to be part of it. I didn't fade Army against La Monroe, and I held off there. So I'll make up for it here. I have no problem fading a triple option snail like Georgia Southern with a big game on deck. And you're getting a, t- a first team, a team playing for the first time. Uh, it could end in disaster. It, they could lose 58 nothing, But I might, I might uh, take a shot here with a couple – factors working in our favor uh, all right the last game we'll cover here we got to in the rundown before we get to three and out we got to talk utep minor nation we're talking minor nation out in the west texas town of el paso picks up uh utep is a right now at bet mgm they are six and a half point underdog over under 54 and a half. I was hoping we would get seven or more here. I might still take on on my that minor nation. Any thoughts here? Yeah, I want to back Utah pretty bad. It's funny. I think that I just read that the Texas governor just came out and said, don't go to El Paso. They're having a huge, huge outbreak. But uh, <laughs> uh, I, I do want to take Utah here. Uh, the problem is I power rated at nine. I'd like it to get to seven. I'll probably get into this a little bit. Uh, I like what Utah is doing on defense. Uh, their offense is what the problem is here. And, you know, their passing success rate is just 35th and their sixth in passing EPA, which is explosiveness. They can't catch the, I mean, the, the, the passing game is so close to having a breakthrough out of a hundred or so, a little bit more than a hundred passing attempts. UTEP has had eight drops and 33 poorly thrown balls. If we could just get some balls thrown on target, I think this team could have actually have a decent passing game and a pass explosiveness. Southern Miss has covered one of their last seven. They haven't been great with the whole coaching change going on. 
The reason for the bump in the point spread is because senior wide receiver Tim Jones, uh, the, the Conference USA Belentikoff Award watch list, he's day-to-day. If he's back in, you might see another bump in Southern Miss, but the way UTEP is playing defense, I want this team at seven. Yeah, I, I don't hate it at all. These two teams, I might look at the under here, actually. These two teams are two snails for what it's worth. Before we get to three and out, here's a quick word from our friends at BetMGM. NFL season is upon us, and our friends at BetMGM Sports are offering Action Network podcast listeners a great sign-up offer. Just make your first deposit using the bonus code ACTIONPOD and receive a 100% deposit match up to $500. They've got parlay bonus payouts, live betting markets, daily odds boosts, all sorts of great stuff. So download the BetMGM app today or visit BetMGM.com to sign up and use the code ACTIONPOD to double your bankroll with a 100% deposit match up to $500. As a reminder, you must be 21 or older and physically located in the great states of Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, or West Virginia. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia, or 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promo offer not available in Nevada. And now, back to the show. All right, before we get out of here... Let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, let's start with Friday Night Lights. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. We have two games. We have SMU at Tulane at BetMGM right now. SMU is a six and a half point favorite over under 64 and a half. I have two bets on this game. I took the under, under 65. And I bought Tulane to seven. SMU's ranked here. By the way, Tulane hasn't beat a ranked team in, I don't know, since Vanderbilt in like 1984 at home. It's been a very long time. Uh, SMU, obviously, has Cincy on deck. They are going to be without their starting running back and without their star wide receiver who's out for the year and Roberson, who's just a, a stud. Uh, Tulane, I think, is going to be able to run the ball on this SMU team. I think SMU... Might come out a little distracted for this game with such a big game on deck. But there's going to be a lot of wind in this game, which is going to favor Tulane's rushing attack. It's going to impact SMU. I think it's going to be missing two of their – going to really miss those two pieces in that first game. So uh, I think this is a lower-scoring game. It's scary because SMU is fast. But uh, I think this stays under 65 and Tulane keeps it close. Any thoughts? Yeah, I took Tulane plus seven. I would suggest taking them at six. Uh, I know that my projection is a little bit higher at 9.5, but Reggie Roberson and TJ McClain, two biggest production pieces that SMU has on offense, they're done for the season. You know, I think that's definitely worth the drop in the point spread uh, to six and a half. I don't know if it's enough. Tulane is mauling people in the defensive line, and without your two greatest weapons, I think it's going to be a big problem for for Sonny Dykes. Uh, So I like Tulane in this game. All right, yeah, make sure you check out the write-ups on uh, actionnetwork.com and the Action app for that game. And then also Houston-BYU, which is a really good Friday night game. Right now, BYU is a five-point favorite at BetMGM over under 62-and-a-half. I love this Houston team. I think this BYU team continues to be a little inflated for what they did against really bad competition. I'm on Houston plus five. I love what I saw. I mean, they they were negative five in turnover differential and still blew out Tulane. Uh, I'm on the home dog here. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree 100%. I'm on, I'm on the Cougs. Of course, the Cougs are playing in both games here. But, no, Houston, 
We're talking about one of the most stable teams in BYU versus the most volatile teams in Houston. And Houston can give you 20 points, and then they can put 49 up against you. I expect something like this. I think the most interesting thing about this is this is the first time BYU is going to play, and there's going to be crowd noise. So that is something that they have not had to deal with. They have not had any kind of noise whatsoever to interfere with their offense or their defense. Uh, I think Houston has way too much speed on offense, way too many playmakers, and they're pretty decent in the defensive trench. Uh, all those JUCOs that came in to play in the back seven for the Houston defense are coming together, second game together. Uh, I, I like Houston. I'm probably going to lay some money line on it too. Love it. In Dana, we trust. All right, let's move on to second down here. Uh, favorite overdog. That is our favorite favorite. It's called the overdog parlay. Favorite overdog, I'm going to go with Notre Dame. Uh, I'm going to go Charlotte. Keep an eye on Victor Tucker's status, but Charlotte's offense finally broke out. They were dealing with all kinds of COVID stuff. Their star receiver, Victor Tucker, is questionable. Even without him, I think they win this game. Florida International, they still have a quarterback. I mean, just they can't throw the ball at all. I, I don't think that they can keep up with Charlotte here. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, third down, before we get out of your underdog money line parlay. Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Uh, Texas didn't get there for me last week. Whoa! College football! Unbelievable! Colin, what do you got? Mississippi State embarrassed me last week. They got a chance to embarrass me again this week. I'm going to go with Cowbell here. I, there's too much mismatch against this Texas A&M defense. I, I think uh, Stark Vegas is going to be uh, loud and probably breaking. I think the SEC said if you break – your attendance, the, the limits that we've set on you, you will owe us $100,000. And uh, I think Mississippi State's probably going to break that rule this week. Wow. Back-to-back leaks <laughs> in the underdog money line parlay. We failed uh, to make our coaching points and our points more compelling than their fat little girlfriends. Now, their fat little girlfriends have some obvious advantages. For one thing, they're telling them what they want to hear, which is how great you are and how, uh, how easy it's going to be. I'm going with UTSA. Meet me. Against Army. Uh, I'm going to have a write-up for this game. They're catching seven and a half at home. They saw Army last year. It was the first time in school history they faced the triple option team. So that will pay off. They bring it back eight of their top ten tacklers. They get their star nose tackle back this week, uh, which will really help. That defensive line is playing really well. They played really well against BYU. And their offense, look, they have a freshman All-American from last year, McCormick. Who's, who's a really good running back. They have great weapons on the outside. They added actually receiver Dingle from UMass. And Lowell Narcisse came in last week, and he played spectacular against BYU. I think he was the highest-rated quarterback last week. at 17 of 20, just unbelievable. Kid has all the talent in the world. Former four-star who transferred out of LSU. He tore his ACL junior year of high school, senior year of high school, and then went to, still got to LSU. He had offers from Bama, LSU, every Power 5 program. He competed with some guy named Joe Burrow. Another guy named Justin McMillan, who ended up transferring and starting at Tulane, and Miles Brennan. Well, he lost that. Went to JUCO, was awful. Lost his starting job to a walk-on, hit rock bottom. And then he went to UTSA. He hasn't been great and until this year. And we're finally starting to see that potential. I think they start him. UTSA has played four different quarterbacks this year. They're a real football team now. I think they're going to be able to hit enough plays on the outside – explosive passing plays if they start Northeast, which I think they do, against Army, and they can get enough stops with that defensive line. It'll really benefit that they saw Army last year. Only thing that worries me is they're coming off games against UAB and BYU, two physical games. 
and now another physical game against Army. Uh, but I think UTSA is going to have a really good shot to win this game. Meep, meep. I'll be ready for that game, so make sure you check it out as well. Meep, meep. All right, thanks for listening. Colin, thanks for joining me as always. Really excited for this weekend and then excited to add even more teams to the mix soon. Enjoy that Georgia-Alabama game. Don't forget about the voicemails. Also, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe on the Action Network podcast. Tell a friend, tell an enemy. You know the deal. Uh, Appreciate your support. Good luck this weekend, starting off with Friday Night Lights and through NFL Sunday. Colin and I will be back on Monday to recap everything that happened in both the NFL and college football, in addition to previewing two Monday night football games. What a stretch of football we have. Two Friday night games, full Saturday, full Sunday, two Monday night games. Thanks for listening as always. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.